If you'll open with me to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles is in the uh, Old Testament. It's after 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. And uh, then we arrive at uh, 1 Chronicles. And we're continuing in our, our series on worship, working our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, stopping off at some of the major points where the issue of worship is addressed. And we're doing so that we can learn what God thinks about worship. That's important, right? That, that we would have the mind of, of God about this as, as his word is instructive, that lamp to our feet and light to our path on worship. And as we've been going through this series, we've looked at two ideas. One, we've looked at living our life unto the Lord as worship, that, that all of our lives are to be uh, submitted unto him, submitted unto his word. And, and when we do that, we are actually worshiping God, living a life of obedience. We've called that the lifestyle of worship. And then we've also looked at where the Bible talks about the act of worship, of, of singing our praises and, and singing our worship to the Lord as we've just done here this evening. And so we've been going back and forth as the Bible addresses each of the topics as we're working our way through. And tonight, once again, we're, we're looking at, we're zeroing in, focusing in on the act of worship. And last week, you'll recall that we left off with David, that we looked at, at David and how he lived a life of worship unto the Lord, but how he had developed a personal uh, worship with the Lord. And and I encourage all of us to develop a personal time of worship with the Lord and, and that it will produce some good fruit in our lives if we do. Amen. We looked at the story of David and Goliath and we saw how flowing out of David's personal time of worship, uh, we saw that it produced some really good fruit in his life. Does anybody remember the three things that is produced in our life as we cultivate a personal time of worship? Thankfully, I looked it up and I printed it out here, so I, I have it. Number one, it solidifies your convictions. Remember that? And number two, it produces confidence in God. And then number three, it clarifies your purpose. I really believe that if we will develop a personal time with the Lord, a time of personal worship, that those three things will be the fruit that come from that time of worship with the Lord, that closeness, that intimacy with God. Now tonight we're going to continue on with David. Again, last week we saw a great triumph as he slew Goliath. Tonight's going to be the opposite. Tonight we're looking at a great tragedy in David's Life And so First uh, Chronicles 13 is the passage that we're in. And just a little bit of a backstory. We don't have time to, to examine it in detail, but I do want to uh, lay it out for you. Uh, you'll recall a few weeks ago we talked about the, the tabernacle and how God had made a way for his people to worship him in the wilderness and how he had very... In, in particular detail, outlined how he was to be worshipped and the, the different uh, instruments that were used and the different uh, uh, pieces of furniture and how they all point ultimately to Christ. 
And, and the, 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 the focal point of all of this was the place where God's presence dwelt above the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. And fast-forwarding now, many years later, after Moses is passed off the scene, after Joshua is passed off the scene, after Israel is established, not in the wilderness, but in the nation, the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel, that God's uh, worship was again being uh, perverted, and some of the priests were sinning in, in their worship and in their offerings to the Lord, and God brought judgment upon the house of Eli, who was the high priest, and when that happened, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. The, the thing that represented God's presence dwelling among his people, it was stolen by the enemies of God, by the Philistines, and Goliath was one of those Philistines. And so the Ark of God was stolen, and the Philistines, as they stole the Ark of God, God began to uh, bring plagues upon them, much in the same way that he brought plagues upon the Egyptians. And so the, the Philistines sent the ark of God back to the nation of Israel to try to stop the plagues that was coming against them for having stolen the ark of God. And again, God's presence dwelled there between the cherubim. And so that's the backstory. The ark had been stolen. It had been sent back. But the tabernacle hadn't been set up. The, the, there hadn't been a place established for worship. And so in the course of time, David becomes the king. And he decides that his new capital is not going to be in Hebron, where, where Saul had set up his capital. But instead, he's going to be in Jerusalem. And to establish his capital city, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back in and amongst God's people. And the Ark of the Covenant had been dwelling just in a, a family, had been taking care of it. And David says, let's go and bring the presence of God back to be with the people of God. And that we can establish his worship here and that his presence can lead and guide our lives, which is a good thing. And so we see here in, in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 1, it says, David consulted with the commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds, and with every leader, and David said to the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. So let's call a, a great assembly to Jerusalem, and then let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul, and all the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So they make a plan, let's bring the ark of God back to the capital city, let's reestablish the seeking of the Lord and the worship of God. A good thing. And so verse 5, it says, David assembled all of Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Labo Hamath, to, the bring, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up uh, to Bala. And again, these places doesn't really 
ring any bells for us, but nevertheless is describing the places that he drew people from and the place that he went to get the ark from. Uh, in Judah, to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name, the Lord who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God, verse 7, here's the key point. They carried the ark of God on a new cart. From the house of Abinadab in Uzzah in Ohio, were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were rejoicing before God with all their might and with songs and with harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. It's this huge parade. It's this huge procession. The presence of God is coming back. We're bringing it to our city. He's going to be amongst us and we are going to worship him. But it says when they came, verse 9, when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark and he died there before God. Verse 11 says, David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day and he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark of God home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So there's this great procession, there's this, this parade going forward, there's the ark of the covenant being brought into the city and they put it on a cart. What you need to know is that this is not the way that God had prescribed for the Ark of the Covenant to be carried. You, you look at what's happening here and on the surface, it, isn't it a good thing that David wants to do? Yes, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. He, his heart is pure. He wants to do what is right. He wants to bring the presence of God to the people of God. So why did God strike down Uzzah? It says that the anger of God was kindled against him. Well, why did this happen? Well, because they were following not the word of God, but they were following the pattern of the world. You see, they were doing exactly what the Philistines had done. When the Philistines returned the Ark of the Covenant to God's people, what did they do? They put it on a cart to be carried by oxen. But God had not prescribed that his presence would be carried on a cart by oxen, but rather that his presence would be carried by the Levites, by the priests. They were to carry his presence on their shoulders, step by step, moment by moment, walking with, with the presence of God on their shoulders, not to be carried around by oxen. If you look here at, again, Verse 6, it says, The ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who is enthroned above the cherubim. 
You'll recall as we studied recently, we've been through this several times, Isaiah chapter 6, and as Isaiah saw his vision of God and the angels crying, holy, 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 this awe, this wonder, this conviction falls on Isaiah, and he says, woe is me. The, the holiness of God is, is to be revered, is to be uh, uh, not treated casually. But David just slaps the ark on a cart. And it was a very nice cart. Number seven, verse 7 says it was a new cart. They didn't find some old shabby cart. They, they made a new cart specifically for this purpose. But it wasn't God's way. It wasn't how God had prescribed. They were in fact following not the word of God, but the ways of the world, the pagan nations. And how they had violated the word of God. And this is now a violation that they are doing of God's word. So the, 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 the oxen stumble. And, and listen, when you, when you ignore the word of God, guess what's, going to pre- guess what's coming? Stumbling. Falling. This is what happens when we ignore the word of God. And, and he stretches out his hand again. No reverence for God, no no separation of God as holy, that that he will just reach out his hand and touch the ark like it's any other piece of furniture. And God has had enough of all of this. And so David is angry. David is afraid. He says, I can't bring the ark to my home. God might kill me. Here, Obed-Edom, you take it, you know, just... He's just stick it in his house and I'm going to go away from this. And it says God blesses the house of Obed-Edom. That where God's presence is and where true worship takes place, God's blessing flows. And so there's, there's actually two accounts of this. There's the account in 1 Chronicles, but there's also the account in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, it, it it tells us that David heard that God was blessing this household. That that it wasn't a curse, that it was actually a blessing. And so David goes, and and in the the interim here, he researches. He he goes and he he inquires. If you you go to chapter 15 of, of 1 Chronicles, it says, David prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it and then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord to minister to him forever if you look down in uh, chapter 15 verse 12 David said to the, the Levites you are the head of the fathers of the house of the Levites Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart for this ministry, you and your brothers, so that you may bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to his word. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring the ark of the Lord the God of Israel, 
And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had, a com- had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Th- this is the point that they were trying to carry the presence of God according to the ways of the world. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God has prescribed in his word how we are to worship him. And if we disobey the word of God, what are we doing? When we disobey God's word, we are setting ourselves up as the authority. We're saying, God, you are not the authority. I am the authority. If we disobey God's word, if we disregard God's word, or we ignore God's word, not not seeking out what God has taught in his word, we set ourselves in an authority up over God ourselves, and in doing so, we exalt ourselves to God's place. Does that sound familiar? Can Can you think of someone else who tried to put himself in the place of God? It's Satan. So if we ignore what God's word says, specifically we're talking about worship tonight, if we ignore what God's word says about worship and we say, yeah, we know your word says this, but we like our new carts. We like doing it our way. Whose philosophy are we following? Whose ideology are we following? Whose whose thoughts are we thinking It's satanic thinking to ignore God's word and to set ourselves up as the authority. So they're trying to do a good thing, but they're doing it the wrong way. That matters to God. The end does not justify the means. No, the means are actually very important because in the means, we show our submission to God as God. And it's not only Uzzah that we see that this happens to. In fact, there's many examples in Scripture where God, specifically around worship, brings very swift justice on people who disregard his holiness. You'll remember in Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Aaron the high priest, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, they go in before the Lord and the Bible says they offered up strange fire to the Lord. They ignored God's word and what God said about how he was to be worshipped. And God caused the fire to consume them. We even see examples in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira come into the worship of God, come into bring an offering before the Lord and they lie to God and they lie to the Holy Spirit and they lie to the apostles. And what happens to them? God strikes them dead, swift justice. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with regards to communion and the abuses that are happening there that there were those who were using communion as a way to differentiate within the body of Christ different classes of people, the rich and the poor, bringing division to the body of Christ. And Paul writes him and he rebukes him. He says, you're not even celebrating the Lord's Supper. Whatever it is that you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. And in fact, Paul says, 
That some of you, this is the reason why you are sick. And it's the reason why some of you have even died, he says. Because they were not worshiping God the way that God had prescribed. Again, if you disregard what God's word says about worship, you are under the influence of satanic thinking. David copied the world's way of carrying God's presence. And I think if if we take an honest look at the church today, I think we can see lots of ways that the world is infiltrating the church. Amen? Where where the world is, and and satanic thinking is, is... is coming in and and taking root in and amongst God's people, even infiltrating worship itself. You know, Satan is subtle. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. He he is very subtle. He he doesn't always show up, you know, in a big red devil suit. Although some people have become so desensitized to sin that Satan is literally showing up in a devil suit these days to churches, and churches are readily accepting it. You read the stories, you see the news reports, you watch the videos of men dressing up like women to tell children Bible stories. Have you seen those? They call it drag queen Sunday school. Now, those are very obvious ways that the devil's infiltrating the church. Hopefully, you don't need me to convince you that that's satanic. But there's also subtle ways. Subtle ways. Let let, let me lay a few before you. Um, In many churches today, there's a sort of trivial and, and glib attitude towards the things of God, a casual attitude towards God, a casual attitude to the holiness of God. Really, there's no um, sense of the holiness of God in worship in many, many churches where the holiness of God is even profaned. There's no fear of God. There's no reverence for God. It's also casual. We saw a lot of this. I saw a lot of this during uh, the COVID lockdowns as I began to look at what other churches were doing because everyone was live streaming everything. And one of the things that, that really bothered me probably the most of everything I saw was some of the things that were said about communion as they were encouraging people to take communion at home. I saw people go as far as saying, it it doesn't matter what you use, just go find anything in your kitchen, go right now, we're all going to take communion. And even if you just have Doritos and Mountain Dew, just go get it and let's just take communion together. Really? Is that what Jesus said? that we could use Doritos and Mountain Dew? Or or does his word prescribe some things for us? Well, actually, his word prescribes some things for us. That we're not to use Doritos and Mountain Dew. Why? Because Jesus didn't have Mountain Dew flowing through his veins. 
Right? The, 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 the wine, the juice, the, the fruit of the vine, it, it represents something. It stands for something. The, the bread, it, it stands for something. It means something. To just take a casual attitude towards these things. It's exactly what was happening here with David. Oh, let's just throw it on a cart. Yeah, it'll be great. Get a parade going. Oh, look, it's falling over. Let's just go and stop it. No. No. What about just this sort of irreverent attitude towards God and the things of God? You see it all the time. I see it all the time because I end up watching a lot of church. Um, I have issues. Just pray for me. I... But there's sort of this anything goes attitude in the church. Like we can just do whatever we want, however we want. Jesus isn't the Lord of the church. We're the Lord of the church. We can shape it, fashion it, mold it, do whatever we want with it. This irreverent attitude, this anything goes attitude. There's an entertainment focus that has entered into the church where the focus is put on entertaining people instead of exalting Christ. You know, Charles Spurgeon, you know, the, the prince of preachers who, who ministered in uh, the, the 19th century in London, had the, the largest church in the world at the time. He, he said this, he said, a day is coming when instead of having shepherds feeding the sheep, you'll have clowns entertaining the goats. As we look across what's happening in many churches today, instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the word of God, you have entertainment, Christian entertainment. And I'm not saying there's, that there's not a place for Christian entertainment, but it shouldn't replace the worship of holy God. If we want to have Christian entertainment, let's go to, to, to receive Christian entertainment, but let's not substitute the worship of God. Let's not rob from God so that I can be entertained. The truth is, it's easier to build a, you know, it's easier to get more people in if you're entertaining them. It's easier to get more people in tickling ears than preaching repentance. But it just perpetuates the decline that we see in our society. If the church won't preach the truth, who will? If the truth of God isn't coming from the word of God across the pulpits of America, where's the truth going to come from? It's not about being entertained. It's about exalting Christ. It's about looking to him and worshiping him. Focusing in on him. There's another way that the, the ways of the world have infiltrated the church. It has to do with the whole philosophy that is in our world today of postmodernism, which essentially is a philosophical idea that says that there is no absolute truth. There's no objective truth. That even if there was objective truth, we could never discover it or know what it is. And this way of thinking has infiltrated the church in subtle ways. 
so that the truth of God is, is looked at through the lens of let me examine this and find out if it's true. You see, the word of God is true. It doesn't matter what my conclusions are about it. I am not the judge that sits over the word of God to put the word of God under a microscope to discover whether or not it is true. And unfortunately, even in many what we would consider to be orthodox evangelical churches, the way they present the word of God is as such as inviting you to come and examine whether it's true or not. And in doing so, you set up fallen sinful man as the ultimate arbiter of truth. The truth is that it's not the word of God that's under a microscope, but it's me that's under the microscope, under the word of God. And this is the way that, that subtly Satan infiltrates the church and flips things upside down. So instead of the truth being declared, ideas are declared, thoughts are shared, but there's no ultimate truth claims made. And it's left up to the individual to decide if it is true or not for them. Of course, that doesn't fit with anything that's in the word of God. You all know this. You go to Destiny Church. We believe in the truth, the absolute truth of the word of God. That we are not the ones who examine it to discover whether or not it is true, but in fact, we are the ones under the examination of the truth. That God's word is the one that pierces into our soul. That we are the ones under the microscope of the word of God and not the other way around. And finally, specifically with, with worship, a way that the world, the ways of the world have, have subtly influ, infiltrated the church is, is the, the focus on me. The focus on me and not the focus on God. You see, when we come to worship God, we should be focusing on him and not us. Because he is God and we are not. And so unfortunately, even many of the songs that are on the radio and that are very popular today are not God-focused, but they are me-focused. Songs that are light on doctrine and heavy on personal pronouns. When we should be looking to God worshiping him and getting to the point where we could just lose all even thoughts of ourselves and be enveloped in only thoughts of him to be lifted up into his presence. And these are ways in which the world has, has infiltrated the church. And so if, if you wonder why, you know, we don't sing a, a whole lot of all the new songs, we do sing a lot of older songs, it's because, honestly, many of them are just too me-focused. And we want to lift you up into worshiping God and focusing on God and setting our eyes and our gaze upon 
the one who truly deserves to be worshipped. Amen. Now God's ways, in contrast with the world's ways, God's ways, you know, the Levites carrying the ark, right? Not putting it on a cart. Levites with poles. How archaic, right? God, haven't you heard of the wheel? This could go a lot quicker. This could be a lot more efficient. We could, we could really do some things if we would update a little bit. God's ways by the world standards will not be considered cool. They just won't be. There's nobody that's going to be awed at how cool the church is. The church is not to be cool. In fact, the church is to be hot for God. Right? That when people come in, they shouldn't be wowed at how cool we are. They should be drawn into the fervency of our worship. But by the world's standards, we will not be cool. We will not be hip. We will not be attractive to the world. I'm going to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here quickly. I wasn't planning on doing this, but it just perfectly illustrates exactly this point. First Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So, so what's the gospel to the world? Is it cool? Is it hip? Is it, oh, I got to get me some of that? No, it's, it's foolishness. It's folly to the world that is perishing. But to us who are being saved, what is it? It is the power of God. It is the power of God. Look at verse 20. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Look in verse 26. Well, verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. God had said, carry my presence on the shoulders of the Levites. It's inefficient. It's archaic. It's outdated. It's outmoded. It's not expedient. It's antiquated. God, we could update. God, we could renovate. God, we could... You know, let us help you out here a little bit, God. Though God has a way, and though his way is foolishness to the world, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God stronger than men. And then he, he shifts it from, from this outward application into an inward application as he examines the Corinthians to consider themselves. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. We have any, no, any, anybody descended from nobility here? To, you know, I, got, I get emails every week from Nigerian princes, but um, 
No, no many of us, we, we don't come from the, high, the upper echelons of the world's society. We, we come from what the world would even despise. We're not of noble birth. We're not of powerful lineage. We're, we're not wise and educated according to the worldly standards. But verse 27 says, but God shows. You see, God has a way of doing things that to our flesh and to our mind oftentimes doesn't make sense. But the wisdom of God is wiser than men. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that, why? Why would God do this? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. He concludes by saying, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that God chose the weak. That God chose not the noble, but the ones down here. If, if it wasn't for that, I, he would have never chosen me. If it was only for the, the elite, if it was only for those who were wise and who were powerful and who were noble and who were rich and who were wealthy, how many of us would be excluded today? But God chose the low and even despised things in the world by the world standards to put his glory and his power on display in us. You see, God has a way of doing things that doesn't always make sense to our natural mind. And so when we come to the things of God and when we come to worshiping God, we can't just think with our minds. We have to have renewed minds and discern the mind of God and discern the spirit of God. God's ways are not cool by world standards. They're not attractive to the world. They're not expedient. They're not efficient. Sometimes they seem antiquated. But his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And listen, is the world's way working anyway? <laughs> I mean, the world is falling apart. The, the modern world, the, the pace at which it goes, the, the proliferation of media and social media, anxiety, depression, suicide, drug addiction off the charts today and we want to apply that way of thinking to the church why so that we can have the same results that they have in here well, I don't want that do you want that no God's ways also require devotion to his word you see David at first was not devoted to the word of God he thought he could just do it any old way. God doesn't really care. It's up to me, blah, blah, blah. No, it requires devotion to his word. So we want to worship God according to the word of God. Not just following our own best thoughts or even following what's popular. We follow the word. We stick to the word. 
And finally, worship under God's system requires sacrifice. Another very unpopular thought and idea. Why? Because it's not all about you. It's all about him. It's all about him. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. David understood this later on as he said, I will not offer to the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. It requires, true worship does require sacrifice. We give a sacrifice of praise to God. We see that that in this account that David even had the priests every time they took uh, just a few steps carrying the ark, they paused the whole thing and offered a sacrifice to God. They took a few more steps. They stopped the whole thing and offered a sacrifice to God. They took a few more steps. They stopped the whole thing and offered a sacrifice to God. True worship requires, requires sacrifice. You see, the world's way just says, come and, come and enjoy. Come and have a good time. Come and be entertained. It's all about you. God's word says, no, we come for him. We, 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 it's not about us. We, we want to lose ourselves in him and have his nature produced in our hearts. So God cares about how we worship him. He really cares about this. This isn't some sort of side thing that is, you can take it or leave it. No, this, God is dead serious. And if he takes it so seriously, I would submit to you that we should also. Amen? And again, this is why we're doing a whole series on worship from Genesis to Revelation. That our attitudes towards worshiping God, that they would be shaped by this story. That we would approach God with not a casual attitude, but that we would approach him with awe and with reverence. That that as we come into his presence, and the Lord is here every time we meet. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he is in our midst. And that when we come to worship God, we should approach it differently than other gatherings. And I know I've said this many times, but I just want to reinforce it again. The gathering of God's people, because God's spirit is here, it's not like any other gathering. It's not like going to the movies. It's not like going to a sporting event. It's not like going to a college class. It's not like going to work. No, God's spirit is here. It means this is a holy gathering. It means that this is holy ground. And because of that, we need to approach it with that sort of awe, with that sort of reverence. And not be so casual about the things that are holy. Amen? Let's stand this evening. I know that uh, today I've uh, really preached uh, two very convicting messages. Um, I apologize for that. I, I, I... I'm not trying to be mean or beat anybody up. But I just want to be faithful to the word. And um, these are, these are the, the passages that we had before us today.
But I do believe that if we will heed and listen to the word of God, that he will produce good fruit in our lives. That if we will even respond in faith to the word of God, making a, a commitment, making a dedication, making a covenant with God, that it will bear good fruit in our lives. Good fruit doesn't always show up tomorrow. Sometimes it takes time. But as we, as we make a commitment, as we make a dedication, as we endeavor to, to live our lives according to God's word, that we start to see the fruit of the kingdom in our lives. How many of you, that's your testimony? Amen. And so I want to invite us just to take a moment. Let's bow our heads right here at this time and with the Lord here in our midst. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond and respond specifically in this way where you would say that at times you have approached the worship of God in a casual way and that you are feeling that conviction of the Lord and you want to make a commitment not with everybody else watching, but with the Lord watching, you want to say, Lord, I want to repent of the sin of approaching you and your presence and worship in a casual way. And Lord, I want to enter into your presence with awe. I want to enter into your presence recognizing that you are holy and that you deserve worship and Maybe you would even say, I've, I've approached worship with the attitude that it's about me and, and my needs being met. But instead, you're seeing tonight that it's about us coming before the Lord and exalting him. And if that's you here tonight, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond by just lifting your hand and saying, that's me. And I want the Lord's help. Lord, I want your help to give you the honor and the respect, to give you the awe, the reverence that you deserve. I believe that the Lord sees us as we respond tonight, that he sees us when we do respond in these ways and that he sees our hearts that are towards him and that he sends his spirit to help us where we fall short. So, Father, we just thank you for helping us, Lord, to, to follow your word, to live under your word, to, to obey your word. Lord, that this is something that you care deeply about. And so, Lord, that you would help us too, likewise, to also care deeply about these things. Lord, if there's been times in our lives where we have been casual or we have been us focused, Lord, that you would help us to, to shift in our thoughts, to shift in our thinking, to shift in our attitude, Lord, to turn, to, to repent of that and, and to walk in accordance with your word, to walk in faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that we see the blessing that comes when we walk according to your word. Even in the story tonight, we see the blessing of, of how you Bless the household of Obed-Edom. 
Lord, we pray that your blessing would be on our households. Lord, that even others would see and recognize the blessing of God and that we would be able to share the great truth of your gospel. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap tonight.